have good weeks and sometimes we have bad weeks, but you know what? It doesn't ever determine our trust and gratitude to the Lord, right? We're not circumstantial Christians, right? Circumstances don't deter whether or not we uh, we change our views of, of Christ and the gospel and uh, just our walk uh, with him. Um, I'd like to remind you really quick, we have Brother Brady Brewer, uh, who is the planter of the 116 Bible Church in Oklahoma. Uh, him and his uh, lovely wife will be here uh, next Sunday. Uh, Brady will be preaching, um, and we will, I think the ladies are meeting up Saturday from, I believe, 2 to 6 uh, to spend time with the ladies and um, spending time together. So let's be in prayer for that. Let's make Brady feel real welcome, knowing that he also is a fellow laborer uh, with the 116 Bible Church Plants. And we all know the challenges, right, as a as a church planner and a pastor. And uh, they've been through some struggles and some difficulties. And like everybody else, you know, um, they're pursuing Christ and all of this. And they're excited to come here. Uh, to spend time with us and to see everybody. So let's try to really encourage them and, um, you know, on and as they pursue Christ in their church plant there in Oklahoma. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please. We're going to go go ahead and continue our track through the first book of Samuel. Uh, turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 19. I have in my notes here uh, 1 through 10. There's no way... We're going to make it through that many verses today, um, but we're going to go ahead and get started and dig in and really see what the Lord would have for us this morning. Uh, starting in verse 1, and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down <clears throat> the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without a cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore and said, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord, or evil spirit uh, from the Lord, came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre or the harp. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that the spirit of God is here. And Lord, I pray that you'd move powerfully today amongst the people of God uh, here at 116 
here in Fort Worth, Lord. We just commit our time into your hands, Lord. I pray, Father, you'd remove any distraction, any obstacle that would keep us from hearing what it is that you'd have to say to us, even me this morning, Lord, as the word is proclaimed. Help me, Lord, as I am desperate and I am needy, Lord, and I cling to you this morning, Lord, and I depend on you, Lord, that your word would go out and it would profit your people. It would strengthen your people. It would bring health to them, Lord. That it wouldn't condemn them, Lord. That it wouldn't bring them into bondage, Lord. But they would rejoice. They would rejoice in the salvation that was wrought in Christ. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so be it. Okay. We have to ask ourselves this question. It's the pressing question here. Like, what exactly, what exactly is going on in this particular situation? Saul, as we're reading here, is literally plotting to kill or murder David. We see that, in, that it all really started with David's destruction of Goliath and his extraordinary victories in the campaigns against the Philistines. David earned the respect from the people which we read about in 1 Samuel 18.5. And then we see that Saul's heart was exposed the moment they came back from the campaign, campaigns against the Philistines. Okay, we start seeing a progression here. The women came out singing a song that attributed to David more success than Saul. And the scriptures uh, indicated that Saul now became furious and this is where Saul's secret hatred for David begins to surface from hidden to revealed through fits of rage it says that Saul in in chapter 18 verse 9 is said at this point Saul eyed David from that day forward we're seeing this decline now we're seeing now that the, the progression here, we knew behind the scenes, we knew how Saul was brought in to power. We know that a lot of what we have saw in his activity, we saw this, this, this desire to perform. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to be noticed. He relished in his authority. He was, became a tyrant. And most everything that he was doing really revolved around himself. Saul's jealousy and envy seemed to be the doorway that opens himself up to demonic activity. God himself sent this evil spirit. Its empowerment even sent Saul into prophesying in his own home. David's heart temporarily soothed Saul, but this too was short-lived. Saul's demonic aggravation reached its peak to the point where he threw his javelin at David, apparently trying to pin him against the wall. It never really says why in the world does it say twice in the Bible that he actually wants to not just hit David with his spear, but he wants to pin him against the wall. Um, I don't know, maybe it's a decoration. We don't know why his intentions were this, but we do know that his aggravation was no longer hid anymore. You see, this is the problem. This is the issue when you have a ministry or a a king who is functioning in this capacity that's doing it basically all from self-will. 
And it's all being, really, it's being um, manufactured from the flesh. It can only go on so long. You even see this a lot of times in the churches. These big churches. And you see these, these really extravagant, well-known, celebrity-driven, personality-driven pastors, right? They can go on for a period of time fooling everybody, right? But eventually, not always, eventually something comes up and they just crash. And we see this all around us today in, 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 in the American phenomenon of the mega church, right? And I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to go down that path today. But I would like to, you to take notice this morning that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves as well functioning in a capacity and performing in such a way that we ourselves become bewitched to this reality that we're relying more on our performance and our status and our title opposed to being driven and moved by the power of God. It says in uh, chapter 18, verse 30, it says that David was actually highly esteemed among the people and his kingdom began to grow while Saul's kingdom began to dissolve and began to crumble. We see the, God, the way that God is working uh, this out for his glory. It says in uh, chapter 18, verse 12, um, it says that Saul was afraid of David. You ever wonder why? You ever ask yourself that question? I know sometimes, how many times have we read through the David and Goliath story, right? We read through it so much, it just becomes this, almost just like this fictional tale about this happened and we love this story. But there's really things that are deeply embedded in this whole entire um, narrative. That if we're not looking closely, we can miss certain details that are, apply to our lives today. And one of those is we see that David was, was I'm sorry, that Saul was, was, he feared, he feared David. And you think of this, what kind of fear was this? Was this just a fear? Because we know that when you highly respect somebody, there is a, there's a beautiful fear that falls into play where it's like our fear of God. It's a, it's a reverence to where we, um, we love God so much, right? That that reverence for him, we don't want to hurt him right? We don't want to sin against God, right? Because we're such vile, rotten, filthy, ruined sinners. And God came and saved us, gave us a new heart. Who are we ever to complain against God and his grace and his mercy showered upon his elect, correct? So how can we have any kind of hostility toward God. But the fear that we're talking about here, I think it's a fear, and this is where I come to. You may disagree, and it's okay if you disagree with me on this, okay? I think Saul was unconverted. I don't think he was converted. I don't think he was part of God's elect. I think he was a false convert. And that's the dangers of reading these stories because I see a lot of Saul in me even today. When I look at these verses, I'm not going, wow, I'm just like King David. No, I'm like the shivering Israelites that surrounded David that were scared for their lives, but they weren't the only ones shivering. You know who else was shivering? Saul, their king, wasn't willing to go out there and take care of business, even at the cost of his life, would have earned the respect of his people. Instead, he sends his little harpist out there to do what he should have been doing. He wasn't taking responsibility. He liked the, he liked the attention 
of the entitlement of having authority, being the king above all the people. He loved that. He's intoxicated with this reality. He's infatuated with I am the king. So much so, he wasn't willing to put in the work to be able to earn the respect of the people. He thought the title could do that alone, but it never works. Titles will never earn you the respect of anybody if you don't have the character to back it up. It's disappointing. And we see a lot of that today. People are so excited about getting their titles, getting their degrees, getting all these things because they think somehow that that piece of paper, that title, or that status is going to somehow transform their person into something that they're not, and it doesn't. I think it's beautiful when people go to school, work hard, study. I mean, I greatly am encouraged and admire the work that it goes into to, to doing that. Um, but don't depend on that. You know, we become, these become title idols, right? Trophy hunters. And we think somehow that's going to give us the respect and the authority within the people that we're called to lead. And it doesn't because there's a hypocrisy there. You're not lining up with what you are supposedly called to do. And it's a dangerous place to be in. He feared David, um, you know, because David... I mean, if you hadn't noticed, I mean, if you look at David's campaigns, you looked at where David, what David accomplished, it's just not the fact, first of all, if I was the king, if I was there that day when David walks out onto the field of battle and annihilates, I mean, okay, I'm not talking about, David didn't go out there and wrestle with the guy on the ground for an hour and a half. You know, what he did to the giant was absolutely devastating destruction. He went nuclear on this guy that everybody thought was going to go nuclear on him, right? That was the thing. Even Saul thought that. He went out there. He not only busted the guy, destroyed him with a stone by, the, by his faith in Christ. I mean, it wasn't the stone that killed him. Yes, it was ultimately. But it was the sovereignty of God moving, empowering his saint who was clothed in the full armor of God. He was clothed in Christ. He wasn't clothed in himself. God sent that stone. God sent that stone, buried it in his brain, falls over. David not only knows the guy's already dead, but David doesn't let that slide. He takes his own sword and cuts his head off and brings the head back. Right? This bloody head right in front of Saul. Listen, this is what you should have been doing. Right? I mean, it speaks volumes. And this is exactly what happened. And Saul, remember, Saul not only saw that, right? But also you got to remember, it says that the campaigns of David were almost miraculous with what he did. So much so that the women were singing, David killed his, what, 10,000, Saul his thousand, right? So I don't know if it's literal, right? Some of you dispensationalists in here, right? I don't know if it's literal or not, if he actually killed 10,000 people or not, but it does tell me that there was a multitude a multitude that he destroyed. So much so that his reputation without social media, right? We're talking about word of mouth, had gotten back to Jerusalem. And by the time he got there, they were met with, with, with you know, they were met with all these women, right? Coming out and singing right in Saul's face, you know? And, and, and Saul immediately starts going downhill extremely quick from that point on. 
See, it wasn't so much. I think Saul could have, would have been happy remaining in hiding and allowing David just to be who he was. But the reality was, is that David was succeeding. And I'll tell you what, he wasn't just succeeding in his battle against Goliath and his campaigns against the Philistines. He was also winning the people. And notice this, obscure, you know, uh, he, he, was, he, was, he was a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. And I, we, we explained in another sermon how shepherds were viewed with disdain, right? So he's out there. He's nothing, even forgotten by his own father, right? He comes from nowhere, you know, so he comes out of nowhere. He's not bragging. He's not going around telling everybody how he, he only time he ever talked about killing anything, the lion and the bear, was when he was dealing with Saul to try to establish confidence so he could go out there and finish the job. But you got to remember, Saul experienced all of this. He saw all of this firsthand. He watched David demolish not only the Philistine, but Philistines. He saw the campaigns. Don't you think this would bring an element of fear to Saul? It would me. If I personally witnessed that and saw that, do you know what impact that would have on me? Watching how God is using this man and he's no longer really using me anymore. And then... Of course, I'm going to be. I'm, he's going to have a fear. He, he said that he feared David. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And it's a great thing for us to be able to take in this morning and to really consider this reality: is that when you are 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 in a place to where you are serving God to the best of your capacity. You're loving Christ. You're living for God. You're doing those things that God has commanded you. Not looking for attention from others. Not to be performance driven. But you're truly in line with where God has you to be. The enemy will fear you. The unbelievers will want to kill you. They will. The hostility of the unconverted knows no bounds with or without demonic interaction the sinfulness of sin the exceedingly sinfulness of sin put the devil in hell remember that it's sin that causes men to do the things that they do so when we go out and we are proclaiming the truth the reaction from the unbeliever is enmity there's always enmity with the believer and the unbeliever and this is why the, the Bible says like friendship of the world is that you're at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God when you are a friend of the world. This is what he's talking about because it should be opposed. Not that people are opposing you because you're a jerk, but opposing you because you're truly living godly and truly living holy. Many of you understand this reality, right? How many times have you been amongst your family members and friends or whatever, or maybe even on your 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 social media pages, and you plop something up there, right, that's godly, maybe it's a verse, and next thing you know, you got the whole world arguing with you about something. You know, and all you put up is a little encouragement, John 3.16, and now everybody wants you destroyed, right? Out on the streets, you're preaching in the open air. You see where the Bible, I never held a total depravity before. When I first started my Christianity, I was a charismatic Arminian. 
Right? I thought people could just come and go as they please. They say the sinner's prayer, or they are by their own free will, they can come and go whenever they want. It's all based on their decision and their desire, opposed to God's sovereignty moving upon people. I was told one time, and you guys heard me tell this before, but it's worth repeating. I had someone tell me one time, says that the whole the world out there, they're just so hungry for the gospel. They're just so hungry. And I got out there and they weren't hungry at all. <laughs> They were hungry for my blood. And I'm like, this. there's something that's totally wrong. And by God's grace, in Scotland, when I lived there, a lot of the old bookstores had all the Christian books over in the corner in piles because it's no longer a Christian nation, right? So I would just dig through these, and I was finding leather-bound versions of John Bunyan, the works of Bunyan, John Owen, A.W. Pink. And I was going home. I started reading these things. I looked at them, and I'm like, okay. Either they're wrong and I'm right, or they're right and I'm wrong, and they're much smarter than I am. And as I began to read, they would have like 10 to 20 verses solidifying everything that they were saying. And on the other camp, it was all tradition. So I'm like, there's something, not, I'm not saying it's all tradition, don't get me wrong, um, but when I went out into the open air and my, my theology was corrected, I began to view the world differently, and I began to view God differently. I'm not making this about myself. I'm just saying from what I experienced, when I, when I realized that God was sovereign over salvation, it gave me so much more freedom. It released me from trying to manipulate people to make a decision, right? I began to try, instead of trying to appeal to men by selfish means to get them to come, appealing to their sensuality, I began to appeal to God in the worship of his son by preaching biblical truth. When that happened, it moved the heart of God, and God brought in the people. And this is what we have to understand with our own lives, is that there's going to be, there is, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.16, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. We are an aroma, a stench, like of death. You ever smelled a dead person before? I had some friends of mine one time, they were out hunting, and they saw this car parked on the side of this dirt road, and they were like, they were going to shoot it up. This is way back in the days, my high school days. And then they saw someone sitting in there. And they're like, is he sleeping? Or what? So they, they kind of like circled the car, looked at it, and it looked like he was dead. He said when he opened the door and all that stench hit him, he said what it reminds him of is when you open a bag of Doritos for the first time. He said, it has a, he, said he can never eat Doritos again. And that made me sick when he told me that. <laughs> but I was like, that's a good explanation to how we are perceived by the world. It's the same stench wherever we go. The world, we, 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 you can't entertain the world. Your biblical walk with Christ will be an aggravation at some level to the world. Yes, it's leavening. Yes, there's common grace. Yes, we're to be a blessing. The Bible says that, you know, um, I think it was Samuel, find favor with God and man. There is a favor there that, that God does utilize. We don't have to just go out there and be grumpy and purposely try to get attention and make everybody mad at us so we can feel justified in our faith. The reality is, is that it is a natural 
inclination. It's a byproduct of the prime product. The prime product is being Christ. And because we are of Christ, we're filled with the Spirit, we're born again. I mean, Jesus was the most perfect man that ever lived, and they killed him. He was perfectly good. He did everything perfectly right. He never made a mistake. Everything he did was perfect, and they murdered him. So with us, how can we expect anything other than that? The fact that we're still living, even Jesus said that you'll be hated by all men because of me. It doesn't mean like every person in the world is going to hate you. He was just basically describing the fact that you're of me, and they killed me. So don't expect any less from the world. It's this enmity. You know, it's really, enmity really means a deep-rooted hatred. And I think in Saul's heart, we could see this deep-rooted, lashing-out hatred. We see this in Genesis 3.15, which is, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. What's he talking about there? We're talking about God's elect, God's people. And then we see the other realm where they're, they're not. And there's always going to be, we have Satan, right? And, and even when Jesus called out the Pharisees and told them that your father is the devil, right? And, and, and Jesus understood that reality. He was preaching that. There's always going to be enmity with, with, with believers in the world. No matter what you do, no matter how many smoke shows you put on or how great your music is or how much you can appeal and make people happy, the reality, if you're a true believer, there's always going to be enmity with the world. You can't wash it away. You cannot remove it. It's always going to be there. And we have to be able to accept that. You know, maybe at your family reunions, your family gatherings, you're always getting hassled by your family because of your Christian faith. It may never go away. What's irrelevant? You still need to pursue Christ and not change and compromise to try to suit your congregation or try to suit your friends and your family and your coworkers. Live the, live the way Christ has commanded you to live. I believe the Lord used Saul for his own purposes. God raises up him temporarily until David was brought in, as we know, is a type of Christ. Right? He's not Christ. You know that's not what I'm saying. But you see this happening throughout Scripture, right? You see it happening many times where God will just even use his enemies to punish his people and then punish his enemies for punishing his people. And it's just amazing to see God's sovereignty as he even uses invaders from a foreign nation to come in and, and just wreak havoc upon the people of God, right? And then God turns around and he punishes those people for wreaking havoc upon the people of God. I think uh, Joseph, Joseph said it right in Genesis 50 uh, verse 20 where he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save my people alive. God's intentions for bringing Saul on the scene, believe it or not, were good. You look at that and say, how could you ever find anything good out of that mess? Well, I do because I see David coming into the picture because of Saul. I see God using Saul. Is God allowed to use people for his, however he sees fit? You know, the one who is the, the potter, you know, can he do as he pleases? 
I believe he can do whatever he pleases. We don't always have to figure out why God did this or why he did that. Some things are left alone for God alone. We don't have to know everything. But the reality is we do know that the Lord does raise up and he does bring down. And we see this throughout the, the world. We see with Israel. You know, Israel was temporarily blind and their hearts were hardened. Why? So the Gentiles could come in. So we could come in. Right? And then it says all Israel will be saved. The point is, is that God, because of his love for us, temporarily hardened the people, his own people, so that we could be brought into the kingdom. And God does this throughout scripture, and he did it here with Saul as well. Saul's ministry was an absolute mess. But in God's arena, it was perfectly ordered in order to bring David to where he needs to be. And this is where we rejoice. And this isn't just being, you know, lost or, um, you know, their retaliation, the world's retaliation against sin, right? Against the truth, I'm sorry, and the Holy Spirit of God. But even believers who are not keeping in step with the Spirit, this is important to hear, um, can find themselves falling into this pattern of thinking and behavior as well. So, it's really simple to point to the world, right? And say, yeah, they do all that. They, 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 they do retaliate against truth. They, they're, they're, we are an aroma of death to them. But also, we got to remember that the Bible tells us very clearly that we have a responsibility to do, right? We can't just lay back like a high Calvinist and just expect God just to do it all. Well, we just sit on the couch, right? The reality is, is that God expects us to do something. Even though God is sovereignly involved, uh, J.I. Packer called it um, antinomy. Antinomy is the place where you have sovereignty and human responsibility that we just don't know how that works out. In the sense of, of how does that work out with us, God's telling us here, for an example, Ephesians 4.22 it says that you, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's specific commands telling us to do something. I know God is fully in control. God is fully sovereign. I know there's not one maverick molecule that God has not ordained. But I know for a fact that in Scripture, I see commands for us, for us to do and obey. We can't obey them without the enablement of the Spirit of God. But here he's telling us this must be a consistent thing because it's telling us that we need to continually put on the new man. He said that, Paul even said, that I die daily. Some of, of us, it's moment to moment. But there is this putting off, right? There is this idea that we are definitely responsible for doing what God has called us to do. And we will be accountable on that day. Even though we're saved, we can't just do whatever we want and there's no repercussions of that. We are in Christ. We are saved. You will never lose your salvation if you're truly born again. But the reality is, is that there are things that I believe we'll be accountable for, even as believers. 
There will be regrets. There will be losses. There is rewards, the Bible says, he will give us, right? So we do know that there's going to be an accountability session there with Christ at some level. And I don't say this to crowd your minds with more worry. I would just say trust in Christ alone. He's got it all worked out. But get out there and do what he's commanded you to do. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds. He's telling us to do this. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. This is Saul's greatest demise, right? His, his heart and mind were on things above. It was on earthly things. I mean, look at all the things that had happened, even with his own son. You know, you're going to kill his son over a drop of honey? What kind of madman, what kind of insanity would cause a dad to want to destroy his son from a stupid commandment that he generated from his own prideful heart and pose it on his son and then he's going to kill his son to justify his own commandments? Think about that for a moment. His heart was not on things above. Think about the moment when they're all in battle and instead of him fighting, he's up there looking at the roll to see who, on, who in the world's out there doing the fighting. And he finds out that it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. And God's shaking the whole place up while he's up there worried about who's out there when he told no one to go out there. And then you find out another time he keeps calling in the, the priest, right? For answers and sacrifices and, you know, do another sacrifice. No, get out and fight. Go fight. It isn't time to talk to the pastor right now, right? It's not time for that. It's a time to pray. There's a time to fight. He needed to be out there fighting, but he's worried the whole time about how his status is looking. People disobeying him when they should be obeying him. All these things really uh, show Saul in the light that he originally was. Imagine what Saul experienced, as we talked before, as he watched the exploits of David. I mean, it would have been definitely something that would really have um, awakened him uh, just to this whole situation about how dangerous of a man David could actually be. It says in um, <clears throat> 1 Samuel 16, 17, it says, when Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. This isn't, so we see when, when Saul first had his first encounter with a mind that was completely taken over by demons, right? And he was totally off there. He calls for a harp player. So they call for David. But listen to this real quick. It says that one of his servants said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, right? But it doesn't just stop there. This is before anything really happens. Look at this. It says, skillful in playing, a man of valor, okay? A man of war and prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And what does it say? And the Lord was with him. See, all these things that you're reading here, you don't read this about Saul. See, you read about this who has been endowed with the Holy Spirit, that he was skillful man in playing. He was a man of valor. This is his bio, a man of war, which is okay, right? We're not pacifist here. We believe in war, just war. Prudent in speech and a man of good presence and with, and the Lord was with him. This goes to show you that he wasn't 
hostile with his mouth. He wasn't uncontrolled as Saul was. Saul had no self-control at all. Um, he was really what I would consider a self-appointed man that's really more infatuated with himself and his status than to see someone else do better for themselves. I mean, this is really the great litmus test for any calling. Any of you guys called into ministry? Women, yeah, there's callings as well, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm just talking about preaching and teaching ministry, right? Um, you know, one of the biggest things here is that when when you are called, right, you want to make sure that you are, first of all, you're called of God, and you want to make sure that the elders of the church recognize that calling as well and behave in such a manner. Being called into any kind of ministry or any kind of leadership position requires great accountability and great responsibility. And I think this is where, you know, you see uh, people that come into the church, they want a ministry, and then they're watched over by the elders, right? And it seems that they can't serve quietly. They're always needing some kind of reassurance or they're always looking for some way to succeed and to climb the rungs of the ladder, right? It's this is where it becomes a problem. In 1 Timothy 5, it says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. In other words, don't hastily appoint any person to any ministry. Let that person be well-proved before he receives any confirmation from the elders. And then we see it, 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 it's, it, it's twofold here. It's twofold. And, and this is the big, big issue of our day, is that we're laying hands on men too quickly, so the person that's coming in is really in sin because they're pushing themselves into a place that God doesn't want them to be. They can't quietly serve, right? They want to be pushed in, but here's the, here's the worst part of it. It's when the elders allow it. It's when they allow this, 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 this man who wants to be seen, wants to be heard, all about himself, right? And, and just because maybe he's got a good handle of the word, maybe he's just got some things that really benefit, you bring him in early, right? So who sins then? We do. Now we're all in sin. We have sinned grievously. And really, we look at this as not really a big deal, but if we put it in the context of the doctrine of the local churches we see biblically, it's a great sin of the leadership of the church. It's grave. It's worse than the person being called in. Because what does it tell you guys? We lack discernment. Who wants to be subjected to leadership in a church that's throwing people up here that are going to eventually abuse the church and hurt the church and destroy the church. And we're just, oh, oh, come on in. You know, it's like open mic night. It's like American Idol up here. Everyone gets their shot, right? But it's, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We've got to be careful with that as well. We don't want to be partakers of other men's sins. And that is what it's talking about here. We don't want to be careless, opposed to being patient, and watch closely to those who desire to preach or teach or any Christian ministry. We're to keep ourselves pure. Like I said, we wouldn't get too far today. I knew we wouldn't. But 1 Samuel 19, verse 1 still. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill, kill David. The literal translation here, 
the original gives it a much better sense. It says that he originally intended to kill David. So it's like, hey, wait a minute, out of nowhere, out of the blue, let's kill David. This is something that's been stewing in his heart for quite some time, where he thought this would be the opportune moment to get David. I'm not going to let these guys know. They're going to be in agreement with me. We're going to destroy David. I'll remain in my popular stand, and I'll continue to do what I'm going to do. He had planned in his heart to destroy David. It was in secret, and now it had been brought to light. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And here we see this happening right here. Plotting to murder somebody is evil. Saul's envy knows no bounds. Resentful to the point of wanting to take someone's life so that he can gain something or have something that he's not entitled to. How do you go from being an anointed king to being an obsessed killer? How does this happen? Saul was held up by the Lord. This is how it happened. But we saw that this status started to decline. And everything now is starting to be seen. We have been in 1 Samuel for quite some time. <clears throat> we have watched the progression of Saul. And we have really, it's been very difficult, right? I don't know about you guys. It has been for me because I just get tired of reading about Saul. And just his constant problems from right from the beginning all the way to we see where he'll literally take his own life, right? So we just, we, we see this and it's just, it's very disheartening. But this is interesting because now you see the light. You see David being brought in as Saul's going down. We're not left without hope, right? We start seeing David coming into the picture and beginning to take his rightful place as the king. In verse 1, when Saul had originally spoken to Jonathan, his son, to all of his servants, that he killed David and Jonathan, it says that uh, Saul's son, he really, um, he really delighted greatly in David. So he, I mean, think about this, and hopefully we'll have time. We're about out of time, but here's the deal. This particular situation is very disturbing to me. Because now I see Saul not only careless for his own, if I could use the word ministry, right? Careless for that. But now he's become so careless and obsessed with keeping his status that now in the process, he's destroying everything else, including his own family, his son, Jonathan. What insolence and disregard for others, especially his own son, First of all, Saul knew that Jonathan and David were close. We read in 1 Samuel 18.1, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul, listen to this now, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him in that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Here's why. Because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan knew of David's anointing and future kingdom. But it was much more than that. Jonathan was knit to David because theirs was the, the purest friendships. The purest friendship. 
And I, I can't really spend too much more time on this, but I would really encourage you, brothers and sisters, to get some friends. Not social media, not electronic friends either. Those, those, I mean, you got 5,000 friends, but no one to go out to dinner with on Friday night. You know what I mean? It's, something's wrong with that. Point is, is that we need friends, right? We need pals. We need people we can confide in. We need people we can walk this Christian faith out with. You know, I mean, I know it's very difficult in the, in the day we live in because we live in a throwaway culture, right? Everything's banned and delete. You know, no one knows how to have a relationship with the skin to skin, face to face, eyeballs to eyeballs, toe to toe. No one knows how to connect. You see, the whole social media empire wanted to promise people that they could obtain the satisfaction of human interaction through technology, right? But statistics have shown it's done just the opposite. It's created young people not wanting to be around people. It's eliminated their ability to be social and to be able to have a conversation with another human being. What that's done is puts distrust in them, suspicion, and with the social media, most of it's fake. So it's, you know, you run and hide. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. That's the whole point. I love social media. I like being on there. I like, I, I have other ministries on there. I enjoy it, but I do know the temptation of getting caught up in some of that garbage and getting pulled in and then feeling that same way like I'm such a void of a close friendship. Close friend, right? We all need them. And if you don't have one, you're going to have to. The Bible says if you want a friend, be a friend. Don't wait for people to be your friend. You have to go ahead and initiate that on your own. So remember that. I would greatly encourage you. I didn't want to leave uh, this sermon. We're not going to finish, obviously. But I just wanted to leave you with that reality that there was a knitting, even so much so where even David said, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. He says this in 2 Samuel 1.26, you have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. You know, it doesn't mean he's a homosexual, by the way. And we all know that. The reality is, is that there is a place there where he is saying that there is a friendship that's obtainable in the Lord that has the exhilarating feeling that you can only find with a wife. That friend, you know what I'm talking about. And I think if you don't have it, and my heart breaks because I understand. I know it can be lonely. This world can be lonely. It can be dark. It can be depressing. I get all of that. And I would just, my, my encouragement to you is that learn the value of, of being with people and being relational, just being relational. Get to know people, get in a good local church, get to know the people of God and enjoy that. That's, what, that's, that's God's social media right there. That's God's design for us to communicate and to live our lives. The other stuff's fine, but don't put a lot of trust in that. Um, anyhow, we'll go ahead and stop there. Um, I'll finish up this next Sunday, hopefully, but I'm going to go ahead and stop here. Uh, we're over our time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning, Lord. I pray, Father, that the, the word of God was fruitful. I pray, Lord God, that you would um, 
Remove anything, Lord God, that was not of you. But I pray, Father, that which was of you, that you would graft it into our DNA today. That when we leave this place, Lord, we would be men and women set on fire. And those of us today who have, um, have walked a, a, a shallow walk or you have followed Jesus at a distance, maybe it's because of some sin or some kind of something you're involved in or maybe you keep getting caught up in these certain patterns of living. I pray today that the Lord would grant you repentance and you would come out of that, that he would reach the very depth and the, 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 the deep of, the, very, of your, the recesses of your soul and the Lord would heal you in those areas so you could let those walls down and you could begin to start over. I pray, Father, that this church, Lord, that we'd be, we'd be a church that's not fake and plastic, Lord. Lord, that we wouldn't be car salesmen here. Lord, but we'd be fully involved with, with each other and be intentional with each other, that we may grow with each other, that your name would be glorified by your body, Lord God, loving one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.